Welcome to Heart for the House Sunday. What I love about today is that we can take a look back over the years of taking up this annual offering and see how God has done miracle after miracle through the generosity of God's people, people like you and me who have given sacrificially, have been able to witness God moving ministry forward through a variety of projects and endeavors. What is so incredible is that over the years, every single thing that we have set out to do through this offering, God has helped us to complete. Everything that we see in this building for the most part, or a large portion of it, we have seen made happen through this offering. So come with me and take a look at what God has done and let's celebrate together. Hundreds of elementary age kids pour through the doors of our Citizen Kids Auditorium, a space made possible through Heart for the House 2017. It's in this room where kids come together to worship big, have fun, and most importantly, hear about Jesus. In 2018 and 2019, we set our hearts on building out a new state-of-the-art nursery and preschool area, an area where children could be attended to in age-specific classrooms and learn about Jesus in a manner specifically designed for them. Little Citizens is also a home to Citizen Buddies, a classroom built out and staffed for children with special needs. It's in this room where kids are loved and intentionally cared for on an individual basis. Since 2019, we have heard so many stories of how God is using this area to minister to families who haven't been able to attend church for years, who now are able to because of the environment our incredible team has created inside Citizen Buddies. In 2020, the pandemic hit and our eyes were open to the need to create a space where we could provide online services at the highest quality possible to a world who is desperate for community. Through our online studio, we've been able to host thousands of people around the world who tune in to church on a weekly basis. The areas surrounding the online studio became the focus of our Heart for the House offering in 2021. Hundreds of volunteers walk into Serve Team Central every week to grab a bite to eat and say hi to friends before heading out to serve. Throughout the week, this space acts as a gathering hub and hosts groups like Senior Chapel and our youth leadership teams. Next to Serve Team Central, we were able to build out our family live stream for families with small children and also our adult special needs room where those attending can be loved on and experience church in a comfortable environment created just for them. Today, I'm in our newly renovated student auditorium, which was a major project in 2021. One of our core values here at Citizen Church is that we give our best to the next generation, and we wanted to ensure that the space where they gathered reflected that value. Hundreds of middle and high schoolers gather here each week. It's in this room where teenagers are raising their hands to commit their lives to Jesus, where life is spoken over them, and many have heard the call of God on their lives, where they found hope and purpose. This is why we believe so deeply in Heart for the House, because when we give, we are literally sowing into the kingdom of God and watching as He changes lives, one project, one endeavor at a time.
pretty exciting, and today is Heart for the House Sunday, and I love videos like that, because it's just a reminder of everything that a church can accomplish when the people of God get together with a common goal to build the kingdom of God. So thank you for your past generosity, and we are so excited for today. Um, last week, we had a pastor here with us, Seth Fincher, and wasn't he just a phenomenal guy? Did you guys love Pastor Seth last week? He was... Um, your, I mean, he didn't preach, but he was with me, you know. Uh, but we were at the table. He, he and his wife, Kayla, pastor in Pruitt, New Mexico. And he's a part of our co-church network. And he talked last week about what we've been able to do uh, financially for their church and helping them. And I think it's just really important to note that every year, and I mentioned this last week in our series, every year when we do Heart for the House, for the foreseeable future, we are gonna have a portion of it going to our co-church network. Co-Church Network was started a year ago. We launched it in this offering one year ago. And to date, today, we now have 55 churches a part of our Co-Church Network, which is completely built to resource the church, to help other churches, anything they need. If we have the ability to help them, we are going to, and it's because of your generosity. And Seth was here last week talking about that. And um, since this offering today, we do have an anchor project, which I'll talk about in a second. But since a portion of this offering that we're going to be taking up today goes towards Co-Church, uh, a few of our pastors in the network sent in some videos talking about how they and their churches have been impacted through the network. I want you guys to take a look. Hey, Co-Church, this is Brian and Cindy Hallmark from Santa Fe, New Mexico at Christian Life. And I wanna say Co-Church has been a blessing to me because I've been able to walk through different scenarios and, and dealing with our structures and systems. And uh, our, we went through a transition and we needed some help yeah. with training and, and developing our workers. And these guys have been right there helping us out on phone calls, even coming to the church. Yes, and on a more personal note, Brian's mom, has just recently been put on hospice for stage four cancer. And we received just the sweetest handwritten note card in the mail from our co-church family. And it was just letting us know that they were praying for us during this season. And it also included a gift card for us to go out on a date night, which is always fun. Always fun. But just to know that we were being thought about and prayed for, it, it helped a lot. Absolutely, we love being part of co-church. Hello, Co-Church Network. We are from Yuma, Arizona. It's Tyrone and Karina Jones, uh, Church for the City. We just wanna celebrate some of the things that Co-Church Network has done for us. In terms of our ministry, it's given us such a confidence to know that we have resources that we can always uh, look to, to grow from, and also gives us accountability in, in areas that we maybe are being challenged in or should be challenged in, and also confidence in the areas that we're doing well. Uh, for us personally, I would have to say the relationships. We've gained such great friends uh, such great brothers and sisters that understand our walk right now as leaders, as pastors, as parents in marriage. So those are two of the things amongst the many others that Co-Church Network has been a blessing to us uh, in there so far in our time with the network. Yeah, I think this network truly shows the heart of Citizen Church, that they aren't just committed to building their church or their city, but they're truly committed to building the capital C church that across the network, I mean, we're in a whole different state. And anytime that we have questions, anytime that we need some guidance, they're always there to help us and our team along the way. So truly just a, a heart for the house. So thank you, Co-Church Network. We love you. Love Looking you. forward to seeing you all again soon. 
What's up, Citizen Church? Pastor Brent here. Me and my wife lead Pearl Street Church downtown San Antonio. Just want to say thank you guys for your obedience. The Co-Church Network has blessed us in so many different ways, but one specific way is uh, with an organizational chart over this past year that we've been able to implement, put people in position, executive, team lead, so on and so forth, that has put us in a place where we are leading more today than ever in the history of our church. We've got more people leading uh, encouraging people, walking them on the journey of following Jesus Christ and building the local church. Because of your generosity, we are thriving today as a church. Co-Church Network is definitely bringing the church together, connecting pastors, but also resourcing the local church. And for that, we are greatly uh, appreciative of that. It's empowered us to accomplish a great commission and make a difference inside of our city. So thank you for your generosity in building the local church. Pretty awesome. And what's uh, really cool about this is what Co-Church, the, the reason why Co-Church is awesome so far is because of your generosity. Everything these pastors are saying, saying thank you to Citizen Church, they're not just thanking the staff, they're thanking you because of your generosity. And here's what we know. The reason why a portion of our offering every year is gonna go to something outside of this house is because we always want to be reminded that the church is bigger than this church. We believe in this church. This church is home for me and maybe home for you, but in order to win a city, to win a nation, to win a region, one church is not going to do that. It is the church, and other churches are not our competition. We are on the same team. Do you guys agree with that? And so we just believe strongly in that. So for the last three weeks, we've been in a series called Here and Now, and in this series, we've been talking about and dreaming of the things that God can do in and through our church here and now. We look at stories of the past through history and in the Bible, and we believe that if God did it there, he can do it here. If he did it then, he can do it now. We believe it because of God's track record, and we believe in the house of God. Psalm 26.8 is our anchor verse for this series, and King David wrote this, and it says, Lord, I love the refuge I find in your house, the place where your glory dwells. I love the refuge I find in your house, the place where your glory dwells. Our anchor project this year, maybe you're new or haven't been here for this series yet, we are building a brand new campus, a Citizen Church campus, Citizen Church North, um, on the north side of Albuquerque, Alameda, and Wyoming. We inherited a property, an amazing property there, um, an amazing congregation merged with us as a church, and we are gonna be renovating an existing building and expanding on that building and redoing the property around to truly build a community center vibe right in the middle of that neighborhood. But what I've been saying in this series, although the bulk of this offering is going there, and we've set a, a bigger goal than we've ever set, uh, $150,000 higher than our previous our previous goal, we set a goal this year of $500,000. $500,000 does not cover the project, it just covers basically the inflation gap since the beginning of the project. But what we do, if that money comes in, we can finish it exactly how we need to. And what I've been saying in this series is that when we give in offerings like this, we're not giving to build buildings, we're giving to provide places where people can write something similar to what King David wrote. I love the place, the refuge I find in your house, the place where your glory dwells. I love the refuge. Buildings are just buildings until the people of God gather with a mission, but when we do with a mission, people can find refuge. 
People can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Their marriages can be saved and transformed. Families, prodigal sons and daughters can come home and buildings become places. That's what we give to in offerings like Heart for the House. And when we faithfully give every week, we are giving to building the kingdom of God. In this series, we talked, and I mentioned a few weeks ago, that at the beginning of the pandemic, Mandy and I became pastors the last Sunday of January of 2020, the pandemic hit in March, and we were, were just doing the best we could as a leadership team and seeking God and trying to figure out what does church look like? Do we need to pull back a little bit? Do we need to be conservative? And through praying, we really felt like God spoke to us something, and he spoke this phrase, don't press pause, press fast forward. Have faith. And this word faith that I've been talking about in this series was embedded in my heart as an anchor word for this season, that God wants us to come into and walk into an era, an area of faith in our lives to where we understand that he really is who he says he is. We didn't pull back on ministry. We pushed forward at a rate. We were doing ministry at a rate we weren't even doing right before the pandemic because we believed God and he is who he says he is. And a couple weeks ago, I gave a state of our church address and went through statistics and things that our church has accomplished and the growth that we've seen and, and how many people have come to Christ and how many people have been baptized and what God's doing in the next generation ministries of our church and through missions and all of our endeavors locally. And it's almost unbelievable except for the fact that what seems unbelievable to us in the hands of God is very believable and actual. We've experienced a miracle, but it comes back to Faith, faith in God. Hebrews eleven six says this, but without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the assurance, title, deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. It's my favorite biblical definition of faith right there. It comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. God's goal is for us to enter into a realm outside of what we can control in the physical into his system where we have faith in him to be who he says he is. I remember in that story at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a passage in scripture in Genesis chapter 26 that leaped out at me in regards to this theme of faith. Isaac, you know, the son of Abraham in the Old Testament, Isaac was kind of at the helm, and he's kind of the main person in this part of the story of Scripture. And the people of God were meant to be in a certain place called Gerar. But there was a famine, a drought caused a famine in the land. Well, Egypt wasn't too far away, and Egypt didn't have a drought. They still had fertile ground and the economy was booming and everyone was moving there. But God told Isaac, Isaac asked God if he could move and Isaac said no, or God said, no, Isaac, I want you here. I want you to stay in the place I have you. And not only that, I want you to sow seed in the famine. In the midst of the famine, I want you to sow seed and watch what I'll do. I will provide a hundredfold harvest. That leaped out at me when I was studying that passage toward the beginning of the pandemic, and that's what I taught our staff and our leadership team. I even taught, I even preached on that earlier this year to our church, that when we obey God, even in the midst of an economic famine, things going on in our world, 
wars and all these different things affecting us, morality declining, if we will sow seed in the famine, God will bring the harvest. Do you guys believe that? We sow seed in the famine, God will bring the harvest. There's a story in scripture also, 1 Samuel 7, staying in the Old Testament. In this story in scripture, Samuel is the prophet. There's not a king right in this moment, and he's leading the people of God. And the Philistines are the army that are kind of the bullies of the whole area in that region at this time. Israel had lost a couple battles. The Philistines were picking a fight with Israel. And this time, Samuel says, we are going before God, before the battle, and we're gonna give the battle to God. They gave God a sacrifice. They gave the battle to God. And as the Philistines were approaching, God sent a thunderstorm that was so intense, when the thunder began to boom, the Philistines believed that the armies of God had multiplied up to 10 times. The Philistines became fearful and ran. Therefore, the Israelites won the battle in 1 Samuel chapter seven. In verse 12, it says this, then Samuel took a stone and placed it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer, saying, the Lord has helped us so far. The Lord has helped us so far. This word Ebenezer means stone of help. And you're gonna see this theme all through the Old Testament. Almost every time, and New Testament, almost every time God did something great, they set up a monument, not to worship the monument, but as a reminder what God had done so far. Why? Because the prophets of old and even Jesus in the New Testament with communion and the Lord's Supper knows one thing. The nature of human beings is to forget. So in the Old Testament, they would set up monuments and every time you would go by it, they would say, that's the Ebenezer Stone. That's when God showed up and we have to remember that he's been with us so far. Jesus at the Last Supper, in communion, said, do this often in remembrance of me. Why? Because we'll forget. We'll forget the power of the cross. We'll forget our own humanity, our own nature. And Jesus is saying, do this often so you don't forget, but we do. But I wanna remind us today, and I've mentioned this many times, that our church has a long, rich history in this community. Our church is 90, nine zero, if you're new, 90 years old, in Albuquerque. There are a lot of things God has brought us through so far. There are monuments we can point back to as Ebenezer stones and looking into the future with a new building, inflation, all these different things happening. We can look into the future with a declining morality in our society, an economy that's struggling, a state and a city that are at the bottom of almost every list, and we look into the future and say, that looks daunting, but, but, God has been with us so far, and he's not going to leave us because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have to remember. We have to remember. Oftentimes, when it comes to giving, and like I said, we're taking up this offering at the end of our service today, people have a desire to be generous, but there's also hesitation with churches as institutions and, and you know, is our money being wisely spent and all these different things, and maybe people have been hurt in the past with different things going on, but here's what's interesting. When it comes to what Christianity is actually doing in the world, it's pretty astonishing. The Barna Group just came out with statistics this last week, and maybe you've seen this shared on social media, but in 2022 so far, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy. $300 billion in total. 
Christian philanthropy. I also think this is crazy, this next one. Christians outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. Yes, Christians outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. I mean, I don't know how big of a win that is because the U.S. government is kind of weird, but it's still a, it's a big deal. Why? Because people don't look at Christianity like it's the answer. They don't look at church like it's the answer. What is so astonishing about this is the Christians in America gave more to the world to address poverty than the U.S. government, but statistics also tell us that less than 10% of faithful attendees going to church, less than 10% faithfully give financially. So if less than 10%, if the church is less than 10% activated financially, and it's doing that, can you start to see what the system of God, if we adopted it, what it might be able to do in the world? Because God does have a system. And if we choose to get in it, in his system, things begin to change in the world around us. I also think it's interesting that we, God's people, the church, are the only means on earth for the kingdom of God to advance. Yes, it is by the power of God. Yes, it is by the power of his Holy Spirit. And God is sovereign, but for whatever reason, this sovereign God has chosen to step into our world and commission us to build his kingdom. We are in partnership with God. No one else is coming in to save this world. No one else is doing it. Not the government. It's not gonna be another religion. It's not gonna be another institution. If there is a hope for this thing to turn around, it's going to be through the church of Jesus Christ. And the potential of every church is directly tied to the financial giving of the people who call that church home. It's just a practical fact. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is addressing the church of Corinth, the, Greece, the Grecian church. And we talked about this last week, Mandy and I, that he was writing to the church of Corinth to collect funds for another church, the church of Jerusalem, because they were in need. So he's inspiring them to give, and he uses a metaphor. He uses a metaphor with finances that Jesus used, a metaphor with finances that we see all through the Old Testament. That metaphor is sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's a very interesting scripture because when I've taught on money before, and, and I, I believe firmly in this, it is bad theology to teach someone or for me to say, if you give today, whatever you want, God's gonna give you. That's bad theology. Or we would all have Ferraris in our driveway when we got home, right? That's bad theology. But what is also bad theology is for me to tell you when we are obedient to God in giving that there is no blessing that comes with it. That's just as bad of theology, which means that there's balance to this, and Paul and Jesus, writers of the Old Testament and more in the New Testament, because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, chose to use the metaphor of sowing and reaping to describe what it's like in the life of a believer to give. When we sow money into the kingdom of God, it's like sowing a seed into good soil. When you sow a seed into good soil, what happens? It produces a return. And that's what Paul is teaching. 
He's teaching there's a healthy balance. It's not an extreme either way, but there is blessing attached to it. What I believe about Christians with the topic of giving, though, is this. I believe that it's the most difficult and tormenting issue in the entire Christian experience for most people. For most people, it's a tormenting, difficult subject. Even some of you today, this might be your first day here, and you're like, of all the Sundays, of all the Sundays, I'm here on the money day, you know? Or maybe you invited a friend, and you haven't been here in a few weeks, so you didn't know we were taking the offering today. You invited a friend, and you're like, I'm so sorry. I should have brought you next week. It's getting ready to get real Christmassy, you know? Like, you know, but here, here's the deal. It is tormenting, and, and I'm not making fun of that, because some people have very real bad experiences in the past where maybe money has been abused or you've seen things in a church that didn't seem right or a pastor fell morally and it was due to finances, whatever it might be, your reason might be legitimate. Maybe you've been in an environment where the pastor manipulated you into giving or tried to get you to give out of compulsion. But whatever the reason is, I wanna say this though, we have to understand that the Bible actually teaches what we should be like when we give and no matter what we've carried with us from the past or what people have told us, let's just look what the Bible actually says, and this will relieve some pressure. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. That's what it should be like when we give. That's why we've taken three weeks leading up to Heart for the House Sunday to where today I'm not up here trying to convince you and twist your arm to give. This is something, when we give above and beyond the tithe, this is something that has to be between you and God, that you decide in your own heart because we're meant to be joyful, cheerful givers. There's four levels of Christian giving that I'm gonna fly through very quickly when it comes to the spectrum of people, when it comes to church and their mindset with giving. The first level is this, shock and disgust. I say money, it's like, oh, I can't believe this guy, you know, I, whatever it might be. And I, again, like I said, there might be good reasons for that or maybe not, but that's the first level, shock and disgust. The second level is reluctant obligation at a minimum level, reluctant obligation. It's like, ugh, okay, they convinced me a little bit scripturally. I'll give mainly because my wife wants to, you know. I'll give my husband what feels generous today, whatever it might be, but it's this reluctant obligation of like, I guess if I have to, I mean, it's better than shock and disgust, but it's still not where God wants us to be. The third level of Christian giving is committed giving in obedience to God. We rightfully interpret scripture and his, God's mindset for giving financially to the church to build the kingdom of God. We see that we are the only means of funding the church and expanding God's kingdom. And we're committed. I see it in scripture and I'm gonna be obedient to God. I love God and I'm committed. But we still are not quite to the fourth level, the level we should aspire to be to with giving. With number four, wholehearted, joyful giving. That's why we call this offering heart for the house, not pain for the house, or not hesitancy for the house. Heart for the house because our heart needs to be in it. We need to give as joyful givers, and I think it's so interesting that the Bible uses cheerful and joyful, and it is not the same root word for happiness. It doesn't say, I like happy givers. <coughs> it says I want joyful givers, because happiness is based on happenstance, which is based on circumstance. 
But joy is not based on, hey, I'm, I feel real good financially right now. I'm happy to give now and then not next week. Joy is built on this. There's a principle that God has put in his word from beginning to end. It is timeless and universal. God has built the church and to be funded by the people of God in partnership with the people of God. There's a system of man when it comes to money and there's a system of God. And I choose to be in the system of God and come rain and, and high water. I am going to build God's church and I'm gonna be joyful. It's not every single Sunday or every single time we see the tithe go out, Mandy and I, that I'm sitting there looking at the bank going, yes, 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 yes. I'm human too. I'm not happy all the time because if you're like me, it feels like our money, the moment you get a check, it's like every other institution in the world gets your money but you. You guys feel like that every once in a while? Like there's the mortgage, there's the car payment, there's the this, there's the groceries that cost $80 million now. There's this, there's that, there's gas. And you look, everybody else gets the money but me, right? But when you're a joyful giver, we understand the peace that comes from putting God first with our money. So how do we get from being Level one, shocked and disgusted, all the way to being wholehearted, joyful givers. It's by understanding the dynamic between the living nature of money and the loving nature of God. Understanding the dynamic. How do we move levels? Understanding the dynamic between the living nature of money and the loving nature of God. What do I mean? Both of these are completely described in 2 Corinthians 9, five through seven. Verse seven is just a different translation from what I read a minute ago. It says this, so I thought that I should encourage our coworkers to visit you before I do and make arrangements for this gift that you had already decided to give. Then it will be the blessing it was intended to be and it won't be something you're forced to do. Remember this, the farmer who plants a few seeds will have a very small harvest, but the farmer who plants because he has received God's blessings will receive a harvest of God's blessings in return. Each of you should give whatever you have decided. You shouldn't be sorry that you gave or feel forced to give since God loves a cheerful, again, or joyful giver. What Paul's doing is he's just appealing, the apostle Paul is appealing to common sense. He's saying, guys, if a farmer goes out and sows a few seeds, he's gonna have a small harvest. And this is how, what God means with money. This is the illustration God gave us. And if we sow a little bit, the harvest will be a little bit. The harvest for the church of Jerusalem, Paul's saying the harvest is gonna be a little bit. But even the harvest in your own life can be great or little based on what we're doing now. But again, he uses this terminology with a seed. A seed, using it as a metaphor with money. Now, there's three things we can do with a seed. Three. Now, I have this $20 bill. You know, we have money. Money is a seed. That's what, that's what the Bible is teaching us. Money is a seed. And there's three things we can do with a seed. Be, meaning money, the first thing we can do with a seed is eat it. You guys like sunflower seeds? You like anybody like eating seeds? I'm not really a seed guy. I never even you want to know an interesting fact about Dustin. That's me, third person. That was weird. Okay, me is I never. I played baseball my whole life. I never learned how to eat a sunflower seed appropriately. <laughs> to this day, I eat sunflower seeds like a toddler. I throw them in my mouth. I chew them up and I eat them. Okay, so <laughs> that's what I do. So, anyways, but I, seed. You can eat a seed, but when you eat a seed. When you just spin, frivolously spin the money, when you eat a seed, it's dead. When you eat a real seed, it's dead. When you eat the cost, when you're just spending money, money, the living nature of money, it becomes dead. Or, okay, you can eat it, then it's dead, or you can save it, but then it's dormant. Saving money is a good thing. I'm not saying saving money is a bad thing. 
but it's static, it's dormant, it's sitting there. It's not doing anything when we just save it, it's dormant. I can take seed and store it and then walk in there and go, why haven't you turned into a tree, right? Because when you save it, it's dormant, but there's a third one. There's a third one. When we give it, it becomes dynamic, the living nature of money. Money is alive. What we do with it is everything. And that's the way God created it. God, it's amazing. Think about how simple this is. Jesus knew that money would be the lowercase g God, the, God, the biggest lowercase g God in our lives that would rival him in being the God of our life. But then God, in his sovereignty, I think it's so cool, chooses to use that lowercase g God to fund his kingdom. I think it's amazing. But when we give it, it becomes dynamic. It becomes dynamic. Think about seed. Think about seed. It's the same way. If we walked out onto a field and there was a farmer out there, an old farmer, and, and he has seed and he's just he's scattering the seed everywhere, what you're not going to hear, if you walk up to him and say, what are you doing? What he's not going to tell you is this. What he's not going to say is, well, I'm just, I'm losing all of my seed. I'm losing it. He's not going to be emotional. He's not going to say, I felt yeah, like, like people are just taking it. You know, it's, it's, I'm losing all of it. That is not the terminology the farmer is going to use. Why? Because farmers know very simple things when it comes to agriculture. When you scatter the seed on good soil, you're not losing it. You are investing it. Something dynamic happens when you take what's meant to be in this soil and you put it in soil. Something dynamic happens underneath the surface. I think it's fascinating. All week long, I've been Googling how seeds work. Have you ever just thought about things sometimes? And I, I'm not a scientist. I did get a C in biology in high school, so thank you very much. But I'm no scientist. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm no scientist, but I'll tell you this. I Googled a lot this week. <laughs> and I could not find one legitimate article where any scientist could actually explain the true dynamics of what happens inside of a seed. The only thing I could find at the, at the deepest levels is a scientist saying, well, there are dormant cells and there's kind of this thing going on inside the seed, but it's dormant and we don't know how it's actually alive. Because think about this, just for a moment. You have a seed, it's dried up. It is not connected to any life source, nothing. You take this little dead dried up thing that you buy in a bag from Lowe's and you put it in the ground and you add water and something grows, why do we take this for granted? Do you guys ever have moments like that where you're like, how is this possible? No? Okay, I do. I'm looking at this going, how is this possible? I believe, yes, it was a gift to mankind for eating and agriculture and all these things, but apparently God wanted to use it as a metaphor for finances as well. You take something that seems dead, but it's actually alive, money. When you put it into soil, the kingdom of God, and add the living water, something dynamic begins to happen. And what was dead that we could throw away or just save, when we give it and it goes into the soil, something begins to grow underneath the surface that we can't see until one day it breaks through, it begins to grow and multiply, then there is fruit and more seeds. What was one seed put in the right soil multiplies and produces thousands more. It's the exact same way in the kingdom of God. The exact same way. One of my favorite stories in scripture is the feeding of the 5,000. I'm gonna share this and then, and then pray and we'll take our offering today. The feeding of the 5,000 appears in the gospels and 
Matthew 14, if you wanna follow along with me, I'm just gonna tell you this story. But Jesus and his disciples had been uh, ministering for two days and they're exhausted. They haven't even slept. And Jesus has been teaching on this hillside. The Bible says, the last verse of this passage says that there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. That's pretty crazy. It means 15 to 20,000 people total. So Jesus is teaching, is coming to the end of the day. The disciples haven't eaten. They go to Jesus and say, hey, the people are starting to get hungry. Maybe we should send them away to nearby communities so they can eat. But the Bible never actually tells us that the people were actually hungry, but we do know that the disciples were because the Bible tells us they hadn't slept and they hadn't eaten. So this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just kind of think it's funny that the disciples may have gone to Jesus, not hearing that the people were hungry, but going to Jesus themselves hungry, blaming it on the people. So they say, the people are hungry. What should we do? Jesus gives this amazing response back to them and he doesn't do what they thought he was gonna do. You have the miracle worker with a snap of his fingers could provide food for everyone, but this sovereign God chooses to bring into partnership mankind. So Jesus does not solve the problem for them. He chooses to solve the problem through them, and he says, you give them something to eat. They're us. How are, we, don't, we don't have anything. And he says, go find what you can find, what you do have, and bring it to me. So what do they find? We know the story, what do they find? They find a little boy's lunch, right? Some bread, some fish. This little boy, also the Bible never tells us if the boy like wanted to give the food. Every little boy I know, if somebody said, hey, the Lord needs that, I'm like, I don't care, I'm eating it, right? Like, Lord, I don't even know this Lord, you know, kind of, so first of all, again, nothing to do with my sermon, but they get the boy's lunch, they take it to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say, that's it? That's all you can find? Nothing like that. But he takes what they could bring him, they put it in his hand, and once they did their part, put it in Jesus' hand, that's when God did, did what God could only do and multiplies it for the 20,000. In this story, I love this story. One day I'm gonna do a whole sermon series just on the feeding of the 5,000. It is loaded with leadership principles, it's loaded with kingdom principles, and it's loaded with giving principles, and here's one of them. It shows us the system of partnership with God because we have a need. We look at God and say, they out there need the bread of life. The world is hungry and starving. Morality is declining at a rate I can't even believe. Even the stuff that we've seen over the last couple of weeks with clothing companies, all these different things. I mean, the deterioration of our society, the economy, the wars, and all these different things going on. I'm sitting here looking at God saying, this is getting pretty dark and daunting. There's a need. And we go to God and God is not snapping his fingers apparently and solving it, but what he's reminding us of is the New Testament and the Great Commission and the power of the Holy Spirit, and what God is saying is, if they're hungry, feed them. And we're looking at this and going, with what? We, we don't have the power to feed them. What are we gonna feed them with? We don't have the resources, the money, we don't have it. And Jesus says, bring me what you do have put it in my hand, I will multiply it, work through you, and you will feed the masses. But the church has been dormant. The church has been dormant. I'm grateful ours hasn't, but for the most part, but I'm telling you, the church has been dormant, and we have an opportunity through offerings like this to sow a seed of good soil, seed into good soil, and watch something grow. The building that we're building on the north side of Albuquerque, like I said, is not just a building. It is a place where God's refuge can be found, where children 
and adults will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In a time where the next generation needs to know God, our prayer is this place will be a community center. But today, when we give in this offering, we're just gonna give Jesus what we do have. For some people in here today, this offering, a sacrifice is $5. It's just where you're at. If you call this church your home, that's where we're asking to give an offering today. If you call this church your home, for some people, a sacrifice is $5. That's it, that's, all, that's, that's what you can do. It's amazing. But there are other people in this room that a sacrifice would be in the tens of thousands. And when I cast a vision of $500,000, that's the minimum of what we need to accomplish the goal we need to accomplish there. And what we're believing today by faith is for something great to happen and God to do a miracle and multiply what we do have. Here's what I have to give, and it's a sacrifice, God, but in your hands, it can be anything. We believe so much of what's gonna happen in this new building, this new campus. A few weeks ago, we showed you a 3D fly-through of this property, and I want you guys to take a look at it again. are so excited and filled with faith. And if you've never been here for a Heart for the House offering before, uh, what we're gonna do at this time, if you would go ahead and stand, um, we're gonna, what we do every year is our kids actually come in and lead the way. And so what we're gonna do is they're gonna start making their way and when they're done, um, you'll be directed by some of our auditorium team and to come forward and give your offering. But as they're coming, you can give them a hand, but in this red envelope today, you can give a real physical offering and drop it in one of these buckets. If you've already given online, write something on there and give symbolically. And today, you might only have a pledge. And maybe over the next few weeks, you can do something. But just grab a red envelope and in faith, give something today, even if it's symbolic. And after the kids come, one of our auditorium team will direct you guys row by row. But let's give our kids a standing ovation as they come down and give today. <laughs> 